0: executive headteacher at Stalham Infant and Junior Schools, about interviewing for jobs over the internet. Yes, you heard that right. With the current situation and schools needing to stay close to most pupils, many head teachers are currently facing extraordinary challenges to recruit good teachers for September. Glenn has now interviewed for and appointed a number of roles remotely, and I wanted to get the low down to help all the other head teachers out there worrying about recruiting during the pandemic. Let's get to the interview. So, Glenn, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, so, we're obviously remote. Um, I'm doing a lot of these interviews now, and um, hopefully, I sound better because I've got some new headphones, um, fancy headphones, just like Glenn's. <laughs> just, just worked it as well. Um, so, tell us, tell us who you are. Um, I know why you're on the podcast. Nobody else does right now. Who are you? How did you get into teaching? What have you done in your career? What are you doing now?
1: Um, my name is Glenn Russell. I'm an executive head teacher in uh, Norfolk at Stalham Infant and Junior School. Uh, I've been at the junior school for five years and the infant school uh, this year. Um, Originally trained as a secondary PE teacher um, with uh, maths as my second subject. Um, After doing uh, the the training and the the secondary education, I moved to uh, Suffolk to be closer to my family into a middle school uh, where they needed somebody with PE and maths. Um, and uh, whilst at that um, middle school, I was lucky enough to be able to take on some leadership opportunities. Um, from there, I moved into a, another middle school uh, in Stowmarket for my first uh, assistant headship. Um, and it was at that point that um, Suffolk decided that they were going to get rid of middle schools. And um, it then meant, was it primary or was it secondary? Um, by now, I'd done an awful lot of primary work. By then, I'd done an awful lot of kind of transition work with the infant schools and uh, that area of primary education. And so primary was was the route that was chosen. Um, in the middle of that, I was um, lucky enough to be involved in opening a brand new free school um, in Suffolk, which was turning one of the old redundant middle school buildings into a new school. Um, so that was a fantastic opportunity, involved uh, lots and lots of things that I've never encountered before. Um, following that, I uh, went on to become a, a deputy in North Norfolk of a uh, four school federation, um, which was absolutely brilliant because it was that opportunity to be a head teacher without being a head teacher um, because you were on site separate to the head working across the four schools. But if anything was too big for me to be able to handle or unsure how to handle, I was able to defer to her. Um, whenever I've spoken to people about it before it was like a, a training playground for head teachers it was a fantastic role mm-hmm. um, and then obviously moved on to where I am now um, started at Stalham as I say five five and a half years ago uh, school was inadequate um, not in a fantastic place within the community um, poor results hadn't had been a good offsped for about I think it was 13 years uh, by okay. the time that we did it um, and uh, now we're in a place where we're you know a solidly good school results are in the top five or ten percent year on year and uh, we're now a, a lead school within the trust that has kind of got lots of people coming to see us for how we teach and what we do uh, in particular some of the work that we do around mental health and uh, well-being
0: that's amazing and um, so you mentioned that you've only been in the infant school year. Is that because the schools have now merged
1: we're in the process so um the the infant school joined the trust and um was unable to attract its own head teacher so the trust provided one of my colleagues um, mrs mules to be able to um, oversee the school whilst it transitioned into the the trust um, and when it joined the trust um, they decided that it would be more sensible for me to be able to run both of the schools rather than obviously mrs mules do one and me do the other
0: yeah so does that mean is it split site then
1: school. It is currently. um There has been some uh, work and consultation on the two schools joining onto the same site, but um coronavirus has stopped the consultation and stopped the DFE making any decisions on that at the moment. Yeah,
0: yeah. Is it is it two form entry that you're in then?
1: So um the infant is a one form entry and the junior is up to three forms. So we've got a couple of years that are three forms and a couple of years that are two forms. But um, so it's, it's got capacity for three forms.
0: That's interesting. So you're obviously getting uh, quite a lot of your junior school students from other infant schools as well.
1: Yeah, there's there's four um, local feeder schools, uh, but we're also attracting children from outside of area now. So when I started, the school had less than 160 children in it and uh, we're now up to 65, which is just we're not losing children and we're attracting others, which is really, really good.
0: Yeah, that is really good. I'd be interested to see how it moves on with it being split site because there's... um, There's a local school to us who split site and um, they actually have um, reception to year six. Um, In fact, they might even have a nursery class um, at each site and they're not that far away. But like uh, a family will choose which site they're going to go to and then all the siblings end up at that site. And I think it must be a logistical nightmare.
1: (laughs) Sounds very complicated,
0: actually. Yeah, I think it works really well. It's just like kind of having two schools and you choose which which school you want to go to i guess um but obviously they are one school and then i know for like clubs and stuff they do uh, like a minibus
1: run oh fantastic just giving you little ideas yeah absolutely (laughs) in the perfect world the the move will happen and we'll bring everybody onto the site um, because you know that there's the room on the site and i think for parents it will make it logistically a lot easier
0: yeah, yeah. Because there's that there is that to consider, isn't there? Um, yes. okay, thank you. So you're actually here to talk about recruiting teachers remotely. So um yeah, I think you've have you, did you say you spent a whole week recruiting?
1: Yeah, yeah, over a whole week now.
0: Online. I mean, oh gosh, you must be exhausted. So tell me, what was the process around just even beginning to think about recruiting like remotely?
1: So the the thing that um, we sat down and started thinking about was each position separately. So when you're running interviews normally on site, you're able to get away with a number of the same types of activity or the same types of kind of processes because actually you get to meet people, you get to kind of read them, you get to use your emotional intelligence to be able to find out a lot about them. But without all of those advantages of being able to sit opposite someone and really get to meet them face to face, we had to sit and really rethink what does each position actually need. So the thing that we did first was be really, really clear on what we were looking for for the positions. Mm. So to give you an idea, we were recruiting for a member of SLT. We've been recruiting for cover supervisors and we've been recruiting for a, a PE instructor so all three positions are really really different so it was us sitting down and thinking right what do we actually want from the person that's going to fill this specific position what attributes what values will they have um, what are our expectations around the kind of things that they will have done and that they'll bring to the role and um, before we even started thinking about what the process might even look like
0: so when you say you sat down and you had a chat was this before schools closed or was this you know did you schools close and you think all right we're going to end up doing this remotely or did this come about after
1: um no we we had to have this conversation after schools had closed mm-hmm. um because it was you know the the interviews were planned in for after these holidays and, yeah yeah know, the adverts were already out and running and people had already started applying so um my deputy and i had to sit down uh remotely and kind of um have a, a zoom conversation and ping back lots and lots of messages on google hangouts to mm-hmm. kind of get to that end point i was also really lucky that um uh, a really experienced colleague of mine who's a kind of executive head and a deputy ceo in a, in a local trust had um, done a couple of interviews uh, prior to easter and had done exactly this had done the, the remote um, interviewing process so i was able to speak to her and kind of pick her brains about some kind of holes to avoid and, and lessons learned which was really really useful yeah
0: and what um what came out of that then
1: um it was really interesting because she was kind of talking to me about um making sure that you kind of one of the things she said to me was about over planning time um and i would second that i think that's a really really important thing so in terms of how long you think something's going to take i would nearly double the process time um because actually speaking to somebody on zoom you have that pause you have that wait you have that shifting over to somebody else if you're doing a panel interview with several of you Mm -hmm. if you are watching a lesson then you've kind of got the lesson you've got the conversation remotely afterwards with a colleague about what you've seen and what you haven't seen whereas normally you'd both sit down and watch it together so a lot of the activities took an awful lot more time so when you're planning the process build that time in Without thinking like you would normally, right? We can get a couple supervisor interview done in most of the morning and a little bit of the afternoon. Mm.
0: What was it? What was it that made you decide to do it rather than wait? Because I imagine there's a lot of head teachers kind of waiting, thinking, "Please stop in school so that we can do something." What What made you decide to bite the bullet and go for it?
1: A little bit of um, wanting the the best people because, you know, everyone's looking for particular types of jobs and if I waited until later on, then the best candidate might have already got the, the position that somebody else had bit the bullet, as, as you said earlier on. Um, also, it's with the idea of potentially moving the schools and all of the other things we've got to organise at the minute in the current climate, waiting on whether you've got staff or not, makes it a little harder to organise. So the quicker we get people in place and we know who we've got, then we can start thinking about staff teams and timetables and all those kind of things um, in in the perfect world when we know what's going on with returning to school.
0: So do you think you've made the right choice?
1: I think we've made the right choice as good as you know
0: in any interview.
1: I I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm any worse off or any better off than I would normally. That's that's how confident I feel from what we've done.
0: Um, so what were the interviews like then? Talk me through the the process of, of one of the interviews.
1: Um, so if we take the PE um, position, for example, uh, the first activity that we got them to do was a 10-minute video of them modelling the start of a lesson. So it could be any activity that they chose to do. Um, but this then allowed us to be able to see their vocabulary that they use their um, modeling skills um, it allowed us to see the kind of questions that they might ask during a modeling process that they were going through at the start of the lesson and it also allowed us to kind of see the manner in which they would use to address the children um, even though obviously there was no children there for them to, to model to um we also found from this that the best way of doing this was by using a site like vidyard where you can the candidates can do the video and then send you a link rather yeah. than you being sent videos in lots of different formats because the processing mm-hmm. and downloading and that can be really really quite complicated
0: i guess as, yeah. as well when you've got quite a lot of members of staff trying to download it as well
1: yeah absolutely and and the reality is different people have got different devices and so it, it just adds a complication that you don't need in a process that can be time consuming enough
0: yeah and different different skills as well on that
1: Absolutely. Um, So the next activity we got them to do was um, some specific scenarios. So related to the specific roles. So the PE one might be, you know, how they'd handle issues in the change rooms or um, a child has an accident, breaks a leg on the field, what they would do to handle that situation. Um, We also asked them to plan a teaching sequence. So, for example, a year five gymnastics unit and what would the first three lessons look like? Um, and we also um, had them talk to us about how they would develop PE at the school and um, so this was done in the form of a video again in the form of a 10-minute presentation and sent to us so those different activities they were done on different days and they were also kind of given a time limit because we were very mindful of when participants or candidates come to your school it's them and you so you know it's just them whereas that danger of doing it online interview is that they could be sat with somebody else who's given them all the answers or asking them to do bits and pieces um, so actually being really really specific about when things are being sent out and when you expect them back in gives you that kind of tight time limit that's really really essential for kind of clarity and fairness for all candidates
0: so what kind of time limit did you give them
1: um, so if I give you the SLT one that might be a, a interesting for people um, we gave them the presentation Overnight, so it kind of allowed them to kind of do the video and then send it to us. Mm-hmm. We looked over the videos on Tuesday, um, and then the ones that we shortlisted for the next rounds, we said that we would email them the Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. So we timed the emails all to go out to the same candidates, and uh, the activities were an in-tray activity, a set of scenarios, and also to write a development plan based on their presentation the day that, that one they'd done the day before. The presentation had to be back in by 10 the intro by 10 30 and the scenarios by 11 so yeah. it was really quite tight but we knew it was then purely them and they weren't able to kind of keep on getting friends in and those kind of bits and pieces
0: yeah yeah i suppose it's it's difficult isn't it i hope, I hope they had childcare arranged.
1: arranged <laughs> yeah. when you when you contact them the day before we obviously outlined that's what we were going to be doing and they'd get a lot yeah, yeah. of time limit so again one of the organisational things is making sure that people have the capacity to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's exciting though. I kind of like doing things in a different way, mixing it up a bit.
1: It, it really was good. It showed um, the, the candidates in such a different light and you got to have conversations with them in such a different way than you probably would do in the normal formal process.
0: Mm-hmm. So how many people did you have interviewing then?
1: Um, so we had about four different people involved in each different process um, based on shortlisting and kind of panel interviews and looking at videos and looking at scenarios and those kind of things.
0: So I'm, I'm interested to know. So actually, we did um, a remote interview today. I say we, not me. Uh, my husband is the uh, the other director and CTO. Um, so and I was just thinking, mm, he didn't actually dress for an interview. Did you dress for an interview?
1: I did wear a smarter jumper, yes.
0: <laughs> well, not, not a suit, though. So that's a just interesting point. I was thinking, but you probably didn't dress for an interview normally, so it's probably not a good comparison.
1: But did he just dress the top half or the bottom half as well? Because obviously they can't see the bottom half, I well, this
0: is it. Um, he just didn't do anything. He just dressed as he normally dressed. He'd probably wearing a Classroom Secrets hoodie, if I'm honest. <laughs> Probably not made any effort at all. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm interested to see how that kind of pans out as well. Um, I mean, we have done remote interviews before, but not necessarily for people who have been employed, more for freelancers. Um, But it's a new, it's a completely new world for us all, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I I don't see it going away uh, anytime soon. And actually, there's plenty of things from this process that I think I'd replicate in the future
0: yeah yeah it's interesting because i think if um you know if our um our interview process is successful then that candidate is likely to be remote for some time just as they were in the interview process whereas for you that person's actually going to be well all those people are going to be in your school building once once schools reopen mm-hmm. yeah so you'll absolutely. really get to really get to know them after that point um okay. So what tips would you give to anyone? I'm sure there are lots of head teachers around the country thinking, do we do this? Do we, do we make the jump? Do we do it remotely or do we wait? What tips would you give to anyone considering it?
1: I, I'd go for it. I definitely would go for it. I wouldn't wait and hold on for, you know, the magical Boris Johnson to give us the go ahead to be in schools or not or anything like that. Um, I think where we started being clear on what you're looking for, in the roles is really, really important because then you can kind of tailor your process from there. Um, When you're doing your panel interviews, a couple of things come up that I I think might be useful to to people. Be really, really clear about who is asking what. um, And then once you've asked the question, be explicit about handing over. So, you know, oh, that's brilliant. I'm now going to hand you over to Sarah. And and then Sarah would then take over. So it makes it easier on the kind of number of voices happening at the same time. Mm also planning things like if you were doing a panel interview and i've asked a question and you've actually got a follow-up question what's the signal what's the sign because otherwise people right, will just yeah, move yeah. To the the section whereas in a normal interview you might give someone a sneaky little sideways look to go i've got something to add mm. so it's planning those kind of things um when you're looking at your processes be really really clear about what it is you're focusing on for the role so sit down and think right what are the key elements of the role that i want to recruit to and then what can i do to assess those elements um make sure the technology works so definitely do some practices do some dry runs my wife was good enough um for us to sit and uh, interview her a couple of times um, mm. to make sure that that, we yeah, get I bet that she you right. love that <laughs> well the important question was asking her what was for dinner to be completely honest be <laughs> yeah honestly. as long as it she got the company. job <laughs> yeah exactly absolutely but
0: was it peanuts though (laughs) (laughs)
1: um i i sat and thought about um the things that were that were kind of really really useful and one of the things was actually seeing the process over more days rather than in the normal process when education we tend to get it all done in one day Mm. whereas actually having the time constraints and having the different stages to this interview spread it out over the week which allowed us to kind of really delve into the candidates and what they did in different kind of activities and how they responded to different time limits so that was really really useful and um two more things i wrote down one was to do with questioning so your questioning really needs to be planned and thought through far more than you do on a a kind of normal interview process so you you really want to think what do I want to find out ask questions related to that but also ask them questions related to their values and their attitudes to behavior management and listen carefully for how they're talking about their children because that interaction you're not going to see so therefore you need to pick up on it in their answers Mm -hmm. Um, and the importance of references is obviously a, a significant amount higher so you know. Are you going to follow them up with phone calls afterwards? You know, so you're able to do that. You're able to have conversations around the reference and, and do that kind of bigger picture. Um, are you going to, you know, change the format that you normally use to kind of ask a wider range of questions and ask for certain references to certain values or attributes that you want for that role? Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to send for more references than the normal two or three that schools send for? Um, so there are there are quite a kind of few things there that, I would recommend to people. Um, but the, the one I mentioned earlier about not trying to download and send videos in different formats is one that I would say would save, save people an awful lot of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting what you're saying because obviously obviously, I've done a lot of interviews as well. Um, and what you're saying about uh, sort of splitting it over a few days, it's it's really funny, you know, because, yeah, I obviously I was a teacher first and I was used to that. It's all over in a day. And we used to work like that, and now we tend to bring them back. And I actually, the first time it happened, I thought, actually, this is really useful, and I changed my mind, and mm-hmm. probably for the better over that period because you can, some sleeping on it is a is a wonderful thing, um, yeah. and you can really see things. Yeah, so that is interesting. And I was just picking up on your point when you said um, you can't give those kind of cues that you want to add anything well, we do have cues for, like, let's move the interview on quickly because this is not, you know, what we want. And I was, I was thinking, actually, when I was downstairs today and they were interviewing her, I was thinking, well, what are they going to do if the interview is not going well? Are they going to teams each other? How are they going to kind of give that signal? Because usually we just skip a question. Um, so that, yeah, it's interesting kind of seeing how other people do it because I'm learning um, new things from you as well
1: the The one thing that again you know say say we're going to take good pits from this process and add it to the the normal process actually that normal visit when the the participant or candidates come to your school and have a look around you have you know a, a decent conversation there but because of this situation, I rang every single candidate that put in an application before we shortlisted to try and find out about them, but also to let them find out about me and the school. And, and those phone calls were going on for like 45 minutes, hour, hour long conversations. And you, you've got such a good feel. And I think I probably gained more about the candidates in that way than I ever do when I give them a tour of the school.
0: Yeah. And especially because they had you. because. I mean, I've been on tours of school before and you never know. I, I was never the confident one. So you wouldn't really feel like, oh, I've got to, I've got to ask a question. Oh, they've asked my question. Oh, they've asked my question. Um, they feel like they've got it in the bag. Oh, that one's, that one's um, a trainee here. So that yeah. puts everybody else's noses out. You know what it's like.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: So I suppose that would be nice for the candidates really to kind of have your ear as well. Um, Well, thank you. I think that's going to be really helpful. Um, Just a few more questions. So you've got quite a Twitter following, and you use the hashtag valued people, successful schools. Is that right?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: So um, I asked the team for some questions, and um, so Kath in our team, she says she she loves your hashtag, and I'll just tell people what it is again. So it's hashtag valued, valued people, successful schools. Um, so her question is like what does this look like in your school, and what does it look like across the trust
1: um The first thing to say is that the idea is is i, I say to my staff that I look after them so they're then able to look after the children mm-hmm. um because as far as I'm concerned, the job's hard enough as it is without kind yeah. of you know an extra pressure and extra strain on um it looks like the door being open it looks like me being accessible it looks like me being supportive as possible and you know um, checking in with staff uh, every single day it's that um, approach that we kind of are here to support each other and things are never done to the staff they're always done with the staff um, mm-hmm. i talk about kind of recruiting emotional currency so if we have to have those harsh conversations or those conversations that you know things haven't been handled well then that's absolutely fine because you've already banked so much emotional currency with staff because you're looking after them you are allowing them to go and see their children's play you mm, are mm. making sure that people are covered so that they can get work done you and it's are... so important absolutely and the, the reality is for me I want people to be able to go home at the end of the day and spend time with their families, not be thinking that they've got a million loads of marking and planning and extra assessment and things to do. Um, We make sure that we organise our timetable to be able to squeeze as much time out of it as possible. So staff have way and above PPA um, than they're supposed to get because actually giving them time to assess, giving them time to plan, giving them time to prep is only going to benefit them, which then in turn benefits the children. Mm. Um, one of the one other <laughs> things we've got is a, a little staff recognition system, um, and just a, getting a, and
0: a million a million Facebook Google notifications. Why is that happening? It's, it's Mister P as well. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I've turned I've turned it off and it's still doing it. Right, sorry about that. Sorry, carry okay. on.
1: Um, one of the other things we've got is a staff recognition system. Um, so if you kind of go on the website or in paper copy available in the office, um, it's an opportunity for members of the public, uh, the community, parents, governors to actually recognise any member of the team, uh, cleaner all the way up to deputy head um, for things like going above and beyond, being responsive, um, going out of their way to be able to support children, those kind of things. And those are awarded by me or one of the governors in celebration assembly alongside the children getting their weekly certificates Uh, and there's a lovely feel about recognizing children and we all know that but actually why don't we do the same with the staff Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's something that we do um, that has a real positive impact on on the team.
0: Yeah so do is there somebody every week then or is it just as and when it happens?
1: As and when, to be honest with you, um, you know, it, it does come in, in peaks and troughs, depending on like, you know, trips and performances and things like that. But the, the heartwarming thing is that when we first started, it it was the kind of the teachers that you'd expect to get them, the ones who were normally high flyers who were organizing a million and one activities. But we're, we're getting cleaners recognized now as people that just do an absolutely brilliant job and have helped out with somebody and, you know, those kind of things. So actually yeah. every member of the community is now getting that recognition.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. So, um, do you have any special support for NQTs or aspiring leaders? Or...
1: I think there's no special anything for anybody. I think it's the same for everybody. And, and that's really, really important. I think you, you look after everybody irrelevant of their position and um, where yeah. they are in, in the tree. And actually, the reality is I will go and clean tables and clear up after Lunch exactly the same as as anybody else will, so yeah. actually making sure that we treat everyone with that respect that they deserve, making sure that we kind of go out of our way to look after each other um, is you know the most important thing in my opinion
0: and it and it is so important that teachers feel valued, especially when there's so much pressure on them to do all these hours and um I just really relate to what you're saying, so I started a life work balance campaign last year, and um that was off the back of. So our um, our mission statement is like to help teachers, and somebody put, I don't see how you could do that if you don't include children. And I was just really cross because I thought, but he's all right, always saying, uh, you know the children are, are really uh, well the most important, And I think, yes, they are really important, and nobody's saying that they're not. But teachers are also really important as well, And if you don't look after their interests, if you're always kind of stripping rights away from them, then they're powerless and and they're disheveled and they can't do anything then they're not empowered and so I really kind of resonate with you there that it is important to to look after teachers and make them feel valued and and put their needs at the top of the tree as well Mm -hmm. um rather than them being at the bottom and it all being about the students whether or not that's good for the teachers or that and I don't think that's right
1: Yeah, And then the reality is it's valued people. So that's, you know, little people, big people, adults, you know, all the way through. And members of the community, parents, governors, everybody's included in that. So it's not saying that the children aren't important or are the only importance. Actually, everybody has got a value uh, and everyone needs to either be listened to or be made to be feeling that they are able to contribute and have a real, real big impact.
0: Yeah. And I also believe that children need to see that they need to see that it's not just all about them. It is also about adults and that they are important in society because I think some of the issues that we can see in society where they haven't realised that other generations are important um, and, you know, the older generation are just as important and when they get there, they'll want to be valued as well because they're not going to be young forever. And, yeah. Um, Okay, so what do you think is um, the key to turning around an inadequate school to a good school?
1: Uh, communication definitely um, I didn't change many of the staff um that had the inadequate judgment for the good judgment um, and and they they were brilliant they were absolutely brilliant staff members and and they just needed to be spoken to and they needed to have a voice and they needed to be allowed their opinion and they needed to be consulted on things so mm. uh, we we didn't strip out all of the staff and bring in a new team we worked with the staff we started speaking to them about what they wanted and how they felt we could move the school forward and actually right we're going to look at doing this and this is why we're going to do it and what's your opinion and we consulted on things and we made sure that we trialed certain approaches in the you know the one year five class or one year three class before we spread it across the whole school so for me communication to your teachers is essential but also to your parents so you know everybody says about standing on the gate and being there and talking but are you there because you stood there smile and wave and as soon as the bell goes run inside or are you there an hour later still dealing with a parent who needs your time and attention so that you've dealt with that problem before it's coming to school um being accessible is so important so i i used to kind of you know make sure that i was at the kind of events at the weekend I would go to the town council meetings to be able to show my face so that people could see that I was investing in their community rather than just there between the hours of like nine and three like we supposedly do
0: Mm, yeah and I do think that's important and and this has come up quite a lot on a lot of my podcasts um is about being visible um, visible to the staff visible to the children visible to the parents the community it's it's so important but it also gives you so much like you say currency um to be able to do the difficult stuff then as well
1: yeah absolutely and i found it being in lockdown um i, I think my productivity has probably gone through the roof in terms of me getting paperwork done and policies done and things like that because mm. i'm not going for a walk i'm not doing an assembly i'm not visiting the lessons i'm not out on break duty so yeah. you know it has hit home the amount of kind of uh, out and about that i do to be able to kind of make sure that people know that I'm about there to support them.
0: Mm, Yeah. Okay. So I ask, um, I always ask these questions. So I'm interested to know your answers. If you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life work balance problem?
1: Uh, External accountability. So that would be Sats results. That would be phonics checks. That would be reception baselines. That would be league tables. Um, The reality is you've got, Thousands and thousands of professionals who are trying to do the best for the children of this country. You don't need all of these external pressures on people, making them jump through hoops and do things in absurd, abstract ways to try and please a set of figures and to be able to make sure that they're not at the bottom of a a make-believe table of made-up figures. Uh, Actually, if we were able to remove all of that, I think you'd see education being far more rounded. I think you'd see a far happier group of people in schools, and that would be the children and the staff.
0: Mm, yeah okay Um, where do you think education is going to go in the next 10 years
1: that's a hard question at the minute isn't it
0: yes especially now i'm sure your answer would be different to three months ago
1: <laughs> i i do think that there is an opportunity for things to go in a slightly different direction i do think there's an opportunity for us to be able to look at what is happening at the minute and the lessons that we're learning about people appreciating wider elements of society you mentioned about you know looking after the elderly and Mm. you know a number of schools are really really good at that but I don't know whether as an education profession we have the opportunity to focus on those things as much as we potentially have done in the past so I think it might give us an opportunity to really sit down and rethink Actually, what experiences are we giving these children and young people before they move into wider society? Are mm-hmm. we giving them the academic background only, or are we giving them that richer understanding of what society is, being kind, looking after people, empathy, mm-hmm. those kinds of really, really important key skills?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think whether or not they're doing lessons at home or not, children are going to learn a lot through this, um, and it'll be the things that you can't learn at school.
1: That's correct. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, and so that that's got to be a good thing in some way. Yeah, I agree. Positive. Let's look for the positive. <laughs> Who was your favourite teacher at school and why?
1: Um, a, a gentleman called Mister Bonus. He was a PE teacher at a middle school uh, that I went through, and um, yeah, I joined the school as a year five, and uh, he just turned my love of sport around. He absolutely uh, made sport my entire life and the reason I went into PE teaching and I was fortunate enough to um, go back whilst I was at university and do some kind of placement with him um, mm-hmm. and uh, actually went on a, a number of kind of um, sports residential trips with him as a, a kind of a trainee teacher as well to learn even more from him so yeah the reason I'm sat here is because of uh, because of Mr Bonus.
0: Interesting you say that so do you know there's a lot of um I've obviously met a lot of head teachers, <laughs> and quite a few from being on the podcast. And um, it is interesting because obviously you're talking about sport. We haven't really talked about sport, but that has come up a few times. And um, one thing that I do see, particularly probably in male head teachers, um, is that when there is a strong sporting culture at the school, it, it, it seems to really make a difference what's your experiences of that
1: yeah I think you're absolutely right and and that's not that's not just saying because of my background I think the reality is it's um something that gets so many people involved it can really whip up a community because if Mm -hmm. it's structured right and it's not just about the the winning it's taking part and making sure that as many people can participate as possible and offering a wide range of activities and looking for kind of participation and effort being the really really key drivers rather than you know you're in the a team and you're the only people we focus on it can really really galvanize a community um it's got the added values of health and you know exercise and all those kind of bits and pieces but I do genuinely agree with you I think it's massive for um, the backbone of a school if you can get it right
0: yeah yeah I just find it really interesting that you know the schools where I've been where lots of different activities are offered and there's lots of competitions and and the kids always win as well um there's just there's something about those those schools like you say that um are just very community focused and and they're just, they're just successful as well yeah okay last question then what did you want to be when you grew up
1: i, I did want to be a teacher um I didn't <laughs> i'm want to always be a head disappointed
0: teacher. by those answers yeah. but carry on <laughs> i didn't
1: want i didn't want to be a head teacher that that just happened by osmosis i still sit here sometimes and think how on earth am i sat here um yeah. but no i i genuinely um it's the bonus kind of totally and utterly um Kind of uh, railroaded me into like this is the way forward and this is what I'm going to do and um, I got to the secondary school, high school and uh, GCSEP was only offered at lunchtimes. So you know we did the, the lessons really? and a lot of the activity we did at, at lunchtimes. Um, so it was it was that kind of drive from him that that meant yeah teacher only. I'm a real product of the system on school and A levels and degree and then straight in and then the national college shoved me through a million and one leadership programs and out I popped the other end.
0: <laughs> do you um, did you not want to go into secondary and do PE teaching there then?
1: I, I was torn um, and I'll be completely honest the reason that I ended up where I was was because of uh, getting that middle school job in, in Suffolk and I mm. think um, if, if I didn't get that role I may have gone on to get another secondary PE role and be in a totally different place and possibly position than I am now um, yeah. but having that opportunity to be able to have a little bit of secondary and a little bit of primary and then consequently leadership opportunities that presented themselves has kind of led me in on the path that I'm on now
0: yeah I allowed you to choose well thank you so much for joining me on the podcast um I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear all about uh, the interview process I think that it'll be really helpful especially for head teachers that are worrying right now when they've got roles to fill for September so thank you so much for sharing
1: thank you for having me real pleasure
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you now have some confidence and practical ideas to get recruitment moving again in your school, especially for those much needed roles that can't be filled with a supply teacher or can't wait until we get everyone back into school. I hope that you were finding my podcast episode useful. Sometimes you just need to hear it from someone else in the same situation as you. You'll find everything that Glenn and I talked about in the show notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to The Teacher's Podcast, then remember to subscribe and do explore the other episodes as I've had some truly inspirational and knowledgeable guests. It's a really great time to tap into some free CPD. So if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets provide of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust to find out more visit classroomsecrets.co.uk